Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches for the upcoming Sunday. Today, we hear about Abraham and Sarah and ponder what it means to be someone with great faith. I'm glad you've joined us. Welcome. I am Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. And today we unfortunately are without our beloved colleague, Pastor Lois Palmeyer, who is out sick, but um, hope she's returning to us on our next episode. We are praying for her. It feels like we're missing a limb. It really does. Being on recording these without her. Right. However, we are very glad that you've joined us today. We're in week two now of Lent, our 40-day season leading up to Easter, and we have some great Bible passages for today and a great guest joining us. Today, we have with us Brad White. Brad, we're so glad you've joined us today for this conversation. I'm really excited to be here, despite it just being the two of you. <laughs> right, right. I miss Lois already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Seriously. Um Tell us a little bit about yourself, Brad. What do you do when you're not in the recording studio with us? Yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I grew up in Colorado, but I married a Minnesotan about 13 years ago. And we used to live in St. Paul. and We've been gone for a while. And so after 11 years, we're back, which is really nice. And we're here for the long haul. We have a couple kids and we live in Roseville, just right up Snelling. And uh, I'm an educator and an education leader, so I've been doing that, um, teaching and leading schools for the last 13 years. I'm working with a really neat team to um, found a school in the West Metro to close the achievement gap and give kids a, a school that really loves them. And uh, we center on passion and purpose and some really neat things. So I get to work with a lot of really incredible people each day and um, do some inspiring work with educators. Tell us a little bit about your dream for the school. You, you alluded to it, but yeah, say a little bit more about what your school will be and how it will be. One of the things that I think kids are missing a lot in schools is, you know, maybe we focus on the three R's and we've got our reading and our writing and our arithmetic and we focus a ton on academics and we need that because kids need real skills to do what they love. But we don't actually focus enough on listening to kids and giving them space to understand their identity, their passions, and ultimately their purpose and kind of what they're wired for and who God has created them to be. So although it's a secular school and it's a public school, we give students space and time and advisors and um, lessons to focus on kind of where they come from, where they're going um, through a lens of four questions. So what do you love? What can you be paid for? What does the world need? And what are you good at? And we help mm. kids do this constant reflection cycle so that when they graduate, they've got a pretty good idea of what makes them tick. And then also some pretty good practice in thinking through those questions so that when they make decisions throughout their entire lives, they can think, well, I, you know, my career is all right, but maybe I'll join a board because that's my way to give back. Or maybe I can find a career that puts all of those things together. So uh, there's a lot of focus on those four things coming together. And uh, we learned about that because we actually used to teach in Japan and the concept is called Ikigai, which is like a reason for being in um, Japanese. It's a really inspiring way to think about life in a way that I think a lot of schools have lost sight of, um, which is keeping the heart in schools and thinking about values and identity alongside academics. So it's that. And I got a chance to do that in Denver and uh, our school was really successful for kids and uh, there's just nothing like it in Minnesota. So I found a lot of really inspiring people 
uh, who are ready to work on behalf of kids and um, plan on spending, I hope, the rest of my career doing this here. Um, and I hope it's something really special for kids. As a college student, I was um, part of this Center for Vocational Reflection at Gustavus, and we were centered around Frederick Beekner's great quote about vocation is where your heart's deepest longing meets the world's deepest need. And as you were talking, it sounded a lot like getting kids thinking about that question. What a great, what a great model. That's actually the model for our, uh, that quote is the model for our junior year internship. And we ask students to think about that exact question. And we have the Venn diagram and they look for the intersection between those exact two things. And then they go out and do a project uh, in the community to try it out and see how it goes for them. So it's a really powerful thing to watch kids connect with really who they are and who in, in my faith world, who God has wired them to be and watch them then just take action on it. It's pretty neat. So amen to that. Cool. Thanks so much, Brad. We're glad you're here. Pastor Bradley, would you kick us off with the first reading for It today? is a podcast with great names today. Right, Brad and Bradley. Um, our first reading is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a, which is just the first part of verse 4. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. I have a lot of questions about each of the verses for today. So I'm really excited because this is a neat opportunity. I think if I had just heard this in the service, I might have just thought, okay, yep, I've, I've heard that one before, check and move on. The first question that I have is around the way that I think this verse is sometimes maybe misinterpreted or misapplied, which is where you often hear Christianity and God turning into a team sport. And there's a little bit in this verse around, you know, I'm going to give these things to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to curse your enemies. Like I'm on your team. I got you. And like God is the ultimate wingman. And I think that <laughs> Seems wonderful, maybe in this context, but I've also heard Christians use that in ways that are can cause some real pain. And so I'm just curious how you think about verses like this and just that perspective of God kind of taking a side and actively um, supporting someone. We hear it in politics. We hear it in all sorts of spaces. Um, how should how do we think about that as Christians? I actually think it's hugely problematic for us and something that this is this is a great question for us to be thinking about because this sort of sets up the entire next part of the Old Testament, right? That the Hebrew scriptures that they've now been given the promise of land of their own and descendants of their own and the whole book of Joshua is when they go and conquer this land and make it their own and um, you basically read about the genocide of all these people that lived on the land that they came to take over. And this is sort of where you get the promise that that's going to be theirs someday. And on the one hand, like you said, Brad, we can read it like, wow, it's great that God's on our side. And But if you read it through sort of like a, a different lens, as though rather than being the colonizers, imagine being the ones who are colonized and what it reads like through that lens. I do think this is a really important question for us to be 
I th- and I think the counter to that is already embedded in the verse, that if you look in verse 3, you do get that, I bless those who bless you and the ones that who curse you, I will curse. But then the next part, I think, is really important to f- that frames the whole rest of it. It's that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, that the point of being chosen here or for God calling Abram out to form something new isn't for them to to be better than everybody or set above every other nation, but about being a new pathway through which blessing can come to all nations. Scripture struggles with that throughout, and you find that in Isaiah. Isaiah brings that up again, too, is to say that you, the the point of Israel isn't so that you have all the blessing flowing to you, but that you be a light to all the nations, and that people will stream to you, not because you're great, you've made Israel great again, but because the presence of God's life is so powerful in this community that everybody's going to be drawn to say, yeah, let's live like this. You know, if this is the pattern for life with God, that looks pretty good. We want to be part of that. And it may be also interesting to say that for much of Israel's history, they were just a tiny little group that was a pawn. So for them being chosen wasn't self-aggrandizing as much as it was saying, God hasn't forgotten us. And that in this whole world of powers and principalities that are at work and often against us, God has a special claim on us. And so the point of it is for kind of hope. You're not forgotten. You're actually chosen. And I think that's really important to remember. The entire Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, were written from the perspective of people who were a tiny minority in the midst of empire. I think we have to struggle with what it means to be Christians living in the empire who are also the dominant religion of the empire as Christians, and how when we hear verses like this about God has chosen us and will bless us and curse those who curse us as people who live in kind of the dominant empire, that's a whole different thing than if we were hearing this, as you said, Pastor Bradley, as just this minority little tribe who, you know, was constantly under threat by the empire. Good things for us to be pondering as we take a quick break.
Our second reading for today is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, a few verses at the beginning of the chapter, 1 through 5, and then a few verses later, 13 through 17. After I read this, you'll probably be glad we're not reading 1 through 17, (laughs) but leaving a few out. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom we believe, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist." Thank you, Pastor Bradley. Brad, what are your thoughts about this little lecture from Paul today? Yeah, first, congratulations, Pastor Bradley, for um, working through that one just verbally. It's it's a lot. And actually, that's maybe my first question is just the writing style of this is interesting. You know, some verses in the Bible are just easier to read and understand than others. I think you think about the Beatitudes and how they're a powerful concept. They like turn the world upside down, but they're in pretty understandable language. And then you have things like this that are like, So A talked to B, and then they thought about C, and they referred back to D, which is kind of applying to E and F, but also G and H. And it just has this, like, logic circle that it goes through. And I just wonder, when someone's writing this, was it more clear to the readers of the letter at that time? I wonder if it's helpful to think about the background, what what Paul is in the bigger picture trying to do here, is that there is a split between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And so the question that Paul is trying to struggle with is what is the role of the law and the role of history and what does it mean to be a descendant of Abraham? There were some in the community that said, well, that didn't really matter at all. And Paul, being a really faithful Jew, I think, wants to reach back and claim this history and claim Abraham as one of the predecessors in faith, not someone to be set aside, but someone to hold on to. So he's kind of going through an elaborate theological argument to prove how Abraham could be considered a person of faith, even though he lived before the time of Jesus. Does that make any sense? (laughs) I feel like I'm talking like Paul wrote. (laughs) So, yes, I do think that makes sense. Um, 
I think, yeah, if you think about them, trying to make the case maybe is, is one way that I'm hearing you share that. So I don't know if that's what you were trying to say, Pastor Bradley, but it sounds like, you know, Paul's making a case for something here. So to do that, you are, yeah, kind of working through A and B and C and D, and you're connecting a bunch of dots. And so being explicit about every one of those dots maybe is part of the purpose here. Um, I think it's easy to get lost in it in our modern context. So that's helpful that maybe there's a case to be made is, is part of the reason for it. I do think, though, these letters were written, as I understand it, to be read aloud to the church. And at least in the English translation, it's not something that's written for the ear. I remember taking a preaching class and being told, you have to write sermons for the ear, not for the eye, because the form here is oral. People are hearing it. They're not reading it. And I think about Paul's letters, like, why was he writing in such a dense form? You know, it's so hard to hear this and understand it. And maybe people's brains work differently back then, or maybe in Greek, this is easier to interpret. I don't know. But um, you're right that this is just, I feel like I need to sit down with a pen and, and do some like sentence structure diagrams and figure out where the verb is. <laughs> right. Well, if you pull it down to basics again with Paul too, is, you know, he's really interested in the difference between faith and works of the law, you know, and he, for him, faith is about relationship to Christ rather than just sort of obediently following a list of rules that were set down. And the reason he wants to talk about faith and relationship in Christ is it because it includes way more people, that the law is this gift for the Jewish people, which he's not wanting to set aside in any kind of way, but he's saying that the law isn't just the place, isn't the only place to connect with God, that Christ is now this new connection that everybody can have in order to experience God's grace and, and God's love and to be part of this community. That's maybe a good place to stop. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back with the gospel reading. Welcome back. Our gospel reading is from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. 
The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's a powerful verse, obviously, and I think a lot about the churches that I grew up in. So I didn't grow up in the Lutheran church. Uh, I grew up in the Evangelical Covenant Church, and this concept of being born again was really, really important within that church, Uh, maybe I would say foundational to it. And so I'm just curious, like from an ELCA perspective, like how do Lutherans in the ELCA church just kind of generally regard, or what are some of the perspectives around the concept of being born again that may be similar to how some evangelical folks see that and uh, may differ. When people said that in your tradition to be born again, what exactly did they think that meant? Yeah, maybe it's less about what it meant that I, I can reflect on now versus the the importance of it, that it was kind of the defining moment in your life, that it was the moment you said the prayer and changed forever. It was a powerful moment, I would say, as a young person. I think I had that experience as a a teenager and remember the moment vividly in the church when I kind of made the decision um, to commit myself um, to a life following Jesus. And that's a powerful moment as a young person. So there's a lot of beauty in that and uh, decision to follow. I think the way I think about being born again is that it's something that I need every single day or sometimes many moments every day. It's a continual process of needing to die to my old self and be born into a new life. Um, And we talk about this in baptism all the time, that um, one of the ways we think of baptism is that we drown our old selves and rise out of the waters to new life. And that part of what we do in worship is we remember our baptisms and were called back into that new life into to being born again and to turn from sin and um, be raised to new life. And I feel like that's something I need many times a day, which I think is just a different orientation than what you were describing, Brad. That one moment where you make a decision for Christ sort of is just a whole different sort of conceptual framework for me than how I as a Lutheran think about this. Lutherans tend to place the emphasis on a little different place in the in in focusing on God's action, how it is that God 
saves us and claims us and holds on to us. And then we respond to that. You know, we, as you were saying, Pastor Javen, there are multiple points where we sort of struggle to figure out what does that look like for me, that God has claimed me, I am a child of God, I've been saved, I'm in, I'm part of God's family. Now what does that look like for me to live that out in the world. And maybe we tend to leave kind of the question of final salvation or, you know, this gets me to heaven or sends me to hell, you know, leave that more in the hands of God to figure out at the end, uh, but in kind of the middle space that, that we live in to trust God's goodness, God's grace and then to try to live out of that. I remember as a high schooler being on a mission trip with um, kids from a bunch of other different Christian denominations all together and them asking us if we had been saved. And we had just like no framework for how to even answer that question because it's just like, yes, we, yes, we've been saved. Like, well, when did it happen? It was like when Jesus died on the cross? Like, I, what are you asking? <laughs> you know? And what, what they were asking was like, when were you saved? Like, when did you commit your life to Christ? When were you born again? And that has, it's just like not the framework that I've grown up with. And one other piece, when I went back to that last verse, when I was first thinking about the kind of faith and works interplay, and then a little bit in this verse, how it's, it seems to be really centered on at least through what I was brought up in, uh, more around faith, that it's, this is really maybe more importantly about faith. And the last verse says, well, hold on a second, maybe it's faith and works. And so that 15th verse that says that whoever believes uh, may have eternal life, that it really centers on uh, the importance of belief. And I think I've seen, again, that hinge point, that pivot point as, you know, salvation is um, this kind of exclusive after death club. And here's the password. And if you say these words, you're good. And I think there's even folks in history that we can read about that led terrible, awful lives and hurt people and um, even committed acts of genocide and oppression. And then at their deathbed, they said these words and all is kind of forgiven. And then that that was just kind of a, it was almost like a get, a, get out of jail free card for uh, a lifetime that maybe was not aligned or clearly was not aligned to kind of the life and teachings of Christ. To me, I've just been in traditions and seen that played out within Christian communities where this this verse can even be weaponized, that it's, it's a it's saving and death and um, some really, there's a lot of importance to it because fe- people believe so deeply in these exact words mm-hmm. and you repeat them out loud and and you're good. And I think there's, there's a real sense of love maybe that's expressed in them, but also um, a lot of weight given to this John 316 uh, verse. So I, I was really, the second I saw it, I thought, whoa, that's, that's kind of the, maybe one of the biggest reflection points in my own faith journey. I always want to point out when you're reading John, especially these passages with its mention eternal life, that for John, theologically, eternal life was something you lived in now he he wasn't thinking about you get this life when you die but it's a quality like eternal life is a qualitative uh deep abundant life that is abiding in the love of god i mean he talks about it as abide throughout the other parts of I abide in you and you and me and you know this sense of being in god's love that's eternal life. And when we're not connected to that deep life, we do end up kind of dying inside. 
you know, parts of us begin to wither away and to die. So it's about now rather than about that moment at our death when we go someplace. Well, that's probably a good place for us to end today. Brad, we want to thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we could have gone for a whole second episode here, um, having more conversation about these texts. We're also interested to hear what all this means to you, um, and we hope you'll drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for providing the music you heard on the podcast today, and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us. Join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m. with Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30 a.m. and also on Wednesday nights during Lent at 7 p.m. for evening prayer. Thanks so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 